Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you take your business to the next level. And in doing so, I try to pick topics that are either very relevant or thoughtful, sometimes strategic, but also tactical. Remodeling Mastery is supported by Professional Remodeler Magazine as well as NERI, the National Association of the Modeling Industry, and is produced by Surefire Local. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I think is very timely and very relevant, but it's also a topic that could be transferred or could be thought about in different environments. I was talking recently to a friend, and he mentioned that he just got a book titled The 12-Week Year by Brian Moran. And when he said 12-Week Year, it really resonated for me, not so much about the content within the book, but more about the title, The 12-Week Year. And what resonated for me is it really hit, I think, a chord of a lot of the advice that I've been trying to certainly convey, not only through this podcast, but also to many of the remodelers that I advise. And that is, it's so important to adjust the scale of what you're planning to do. In a traditional kind of normalized times, you can think about the year. You can think about the four quarters of the year. You can think about okay, what are the big initiatives and big priorities that we want to try to accomplish? The challenge right now with certainly the pandemic, with some of the challenges, with the social unrest, as well as with the economy and the elections, all of those kind of perfect storm elements together, regardless how well home improvement is doing during all this, it still makes it unpredictable. It still makes it a cycle of a year in many ways, is almost like a decade. So this notion of thinking about the year, changing your mindset, who said that a year has to be 52 weeks? I mean, that just happens to be the calendar year. You could have a business plan, however, that is focused on a 12-week year. And I think during the times we're in right now, I think that is, in fact, especially appropriate. It's appropriate because of, again, the things that you can control, but it's also you can plan. Now, what I want to do is I want to try to unpack this and kind of look at it in seven different elements, primarily in terms of how you potentially would look at things a little bit differently. So let's talk about just the fact that it's 12 weeks as opposed to 52 weeks. So when you think about this in terms of the scale, 12 weeks has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you think about the beginning as two weeks, the middle as eight weeks, and the end as two weeks, almost think of it like a race. And in a race, the first two weeks, you might just kind of be planning, pace yourself, kind of, you know, get up to speed. Then you have about eight weeks of really grinding, grinding, consistent cadence. And then you get down to the last two weeks within that 12-week year, and now you're in a sprint. And then, of course, you want to take a little bit of a breather at the end and then restart the process into another 12-week year. So the benefit of thinking about it that way is it really allows you to create the right cadence and the right pace for that cycle of time, both in terms of 
focus and energy and certainly your intensity. The second thing I want you to think about with a 12-week year is how do you go about measuring things in a 12-week year? You know, in a 12-week year, you can have very concrete, specific measurements that you're looking at. It might be your lead flow. It might be the, what you're going to sell, what you're going to produce. It might be your overhead expenses for that period of time, what you're going to use your money for and not use your money for. But you can have a pretty clear idea based on what you have in the pipeline and different activities that you're doing to have a pretty clear way that you can have concrete measurements. And if those measurements are concrete and, in fact, meaningful, and you can hit those measurements, the likelihood of your success, needless to say, is so much greater. Third element certainly exists in a 12-month year or a 12-week year is the whole notion of marketing. So how do you think about the marketing activity as it relates to 12 weeks as opposed to 52? Well, by adjusting that scale and that mindset, all of a sudden it becomes, okay, I've got an existing client base. How do I leverage that client base and see some real potential results? Results in new business opportunities, results in new projects. I also can literally, like a faucet, turn on some of my digital marketing efforts and really have very strategic and tactical kind of things that I can see the number of leads I need. And then going back to number two, with the right measuring, you can really track that in a much more healthy way. The reality is if you're going in, for example, at the 12-week year, and you know that you have a tremendous amount of backlog of either projects to produce or sell, then how you approach your marketing activity is going to be different. Number four, the team. Since we're really looking at more of a 5K race, not a 26-mile marathon, I do think you start to look at the team a little bit differently when it, in fact, is 12. 12 12-week year, I think, really has you thinking about the team a little bit differently. Are the team members aligned? You don't really have time in 12 weeks to have a lot of misalignment, a lot of disagreement, a lot of other ways of doing things. The second is, in a 12-week cycle, you don't really focus on potential you focus on behaviors and results. So those individuals that you have on board that have some long-term potential, they may not be as important to put the time and the energy in, or quite frankly, maybe not even on the team with a 12-week kind of thinking. You know, you can't afford necessarily to have, I think, individuals that aren't necessarily working at the energy and the pace that's required for 12. Otherwise, they're going to fall short. Number five are your projects. Now, you may love those giant projects, and you may love certain types of design clients and projects, but the reality is if I have a 12-week year and I'm depending on my success or failure based on what happens in that window of time, I'm going to start to look at the projects a little bit differently. I'm going to start to really understand what's my sweet spot. How much can I produce per day as opposed to sometime during that year? Because that 12 weeks is just a collection of numbers of days that are very well defined. The other type of projects that you probably want to gravitate more on that can turn more quickly or tend to be the smaller scale projects. Now, those companies that are devoted and focused on smaller scale projects, adding those into the blend 
are the ones that aren't going to have such a roller coaster in terms of results this year. So by thinking about your projects, the things that you're really good at, the things you have processes in place, not the things you're trying to invent new things necessarily to do, you're going to be more successful with a 12-week year mindset. Number six is budget. Now, you can budget for a 12-week budget just like you can do it for an annualized budget. But when you start to do it with a 12-week cycle, all of a sudden that budgeting becomes clear. It becomes simple. You know, what am I spending per day for that period of time? You know, what are those expenses that can be moved into the following year or the previous year in that to end up with the best financial results? By looking at it on a 12-week cycle, that budgeting process, while it certainly doesn't abandon that annualized uh, 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 approach to the business plan, you can certainly, I think, see a lot more success. And number seven, and certainly not the least, as you think about this 12-week year, is to celebrate. One of the questions I was asked recently on a board call is, how is your summer going? And my response is, oh, is that the season that we're in right now? I share that little example because everything is blurry. Everything is blending together, I think, in terms of 2020 and the nature of this year. When you start to define it as a 12-week cycle, you have the wins and the losses. You can see what they are. And if you can set out the right plan, have the right parts and pieces in place, and get through that 12 weeks, then you want to take a breather. You want to take a breather and you want to be able to celebrate. So by adopting a 12-week year, it's really more of a mindset, but also there's some skills that come out of it. Some skills just like in running. A world-class runner, even though they're a marathon runner, they know how to sprint in the last couple hundred yards to either win or not win the race. So I'm not necessarily suggesting that you completely change your business model, but I think during these pandemic times and certainly the challenging times we're in, this concept of looking at your year as a 12-week cycle is really a great way to not only see better results, get the team more aligned in terms of what you're accomplishing, and, and at the end of the day, I think you can bolt together four 12-week years. I think you're going to end up being healthier and more profitable in the long run. So again, I want to thank everybody listening to Remodeling Mastery and stay tuned for another segment with one of our Remodeling Thought Leaders who give you really more insights, insights on many of the really neat things I think that are out there, but also some of the storm clouds ahead. Take care, everyone. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery. This is the portion of the podcast that uh, is always probably the most uh, uh, interesting uh, for folks in that that's when I have a conversation with a industry expert, uh, a thought leader, an individual that quite frankly can help you understand and kind of crack the code. And as a result of these conversations, I think... uh, you know, will add a little bit of color to certainly a uh, otherwise very confusing time that we're in. Uh, today, I have uh, an expert from Google. His name is uh, Nima uh, Oftada. Uh, he is the head of analytics uh, for the home services 
group, which I think a lot of people, when they think of Google, they think of, you know, searching things. You don't necessarily think of kind of being heavily involved in the home service space, but Nima and certainly his team has been really uh, an important integral part of Harvard University's Vermonting Future and certainly helping us kind of understand some of the uh, consumer sentiment of, 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 of how they're feeling and thinking about certain things. So welcome, Nima. And, uh, you know, I'd love to dive into a conversation about what you what are you what are you seeing out there? Yeah, thank you for the introduction, Mark. So as you mentioned, our group has been uh, studying this space really closely, me personally, for uh, for about nine years. And, you know, even though we're in a really unprecedented uh, dynamic, I, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that, you know, the after the early days of, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty on the consumer side, as far as, you know, sentiment towards remodeling projects, we're sort of seeing a checkmark-shaped recovery uh, since uh, late April, and, and this has been one of the strongest categories of uh, customer demand as far as uh, you know growth versus what we would have expected in a, in a normal year. Uh, so, our two main sources of data are, of course, uh, anonymized uh, Google search information, watch time on YouTube, and things like that. And we also have a, a human truths uh, surveying market research arm. So, I'm happy to talk about the uh, the, the trends and uh, insights we see on on sort of both those arms of our uh, of our research practice. Excellent. So I know that uh, in, in some of our discussions that some of your research kind of falls into three categories. Maybe we can kind of set the stage for, uh, you know, for our listeners uh, with those categories. Yeah, absolutely. So the first piece, uh, as I mentioned, is Google search and YouTube data. So Google sits on a huge trove of data around intent and behavior. And it's, it's very privacy safe uh, and, and anonymized, but what it allows us to do in aggregate is understand uh, you know, what the demand pulse and what the, you know, the, the zeitgeist of the average user is and how they're, how they're feeling with respect to, uh, to certain categories. So search and watch time is uh, kind of bucket one. Uh, the second piece is our, is our surveying practice. So uh, Google surveys is, is one of our own products that uh, allows us to survey a huge body of hundreds of millions of people on on you know literally anything on premium web content, so we we have some category specific insights from there, and then just overall, even outside of the home remodeling space, uh, evolving you know behavior and attitudes as it relates to things like contactless payment, having people in uh, in their home, that the types of protective measures they want to see when they interact with providers. So kind of broader industry research that we partner with uh, third party companies and market research entities to um, to understand about the category. Excellent. So if you want to, uh, you know, grab a hold of the, uh, I guess the home improvement kind of, uh, kind of pulse, uh, what do you, what are you seeing out there? Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the early days of, of COVID, what we saw was, was a lot of uncertainty. We saw this initial dip in, in virtually all of the categories that we follow. So everything from outdoor to exteriors to interiors and one of our hypotheses was, was frankly just distraction because we saw it across all industries, not just uh, not just related to the home. But like I mentioned earlier, ever since then, ever you know, since the markets uh, sort of started to stabilize after some prehistoric intervention, we've seen this this major checkmark shape recovery. So, uh, so just to give you a sense of of, um, of what we're seeing, we have a data sciences team uh, that looks at uh, sort of counterfactuals. So they'll they'll try and model what normal would have looked like. So what would 2020 have looked like had there been no, uh, no COVID whatsoever? And even when you compare it to this sort of synthetic 
uh, baseline or I, or um, estimation of what a normal year would have looked like. Home improvement is up almost 40% as far as projected search volume, wow. kitchen and baths uh, over 30% higher, outdoor, uh, you know, big increase from a year-over-year -year volume standpoint, but over 33% uh, higher than what we would have projected year to date had there been no no COVID. So there's been a speculation in other industries where we've just kind of shifted the latent demand from that early, you know, high uncertainty period. Now we're sort of filling that gap more recently. But in the case of home improvement and then another third-party data sources, uh, such as Numerator, which I can talk about uh, later on, have validated this, it's actually been an over-index compared to what we would have expected in a normal 2020. So uh, it's hard to predict the future. This is a really fast-moving situation. And um, you know, a lot of it depends on factors uh, that are very difficult to predict. But uh, thus far this year, uh, it's it's been um, it's been very beneficial to the space. Main hypothesis being because people are just spending more time in their homes. You know, I think this notion of specifically the kitchen and bath space, as well as the outdoor space, uh, when you really kind of think about it, it it's it's. In a way, it makes sense, but it's also a little bit counter to what you might think, especially with kitchens and baths. I mean, if there is ever a project that is potentially more invasive, you know, in kind of major surgery during a pandemic, it would be a kitchen and bath. Uh, however, it, it's, it's also the source of, you know, of germs. It's also the source of you know, unhappiness and frustration. So, you know, you've got an interesting kind of dynamic going on, both in terms of kind of uh, some of these things make total sense, uh, and some of these are a little bit of head scratchers. Yeah, absolutely. And our our hypothesis uh, is that many of the people who sort of surged demand for this category and, and accelerated their search in this category may have been Kind of in the red zone as far as consideration in this uh, in this space, and simply accelerated because a lot of the blockers that you have when you're, uh, you know, commuting to and from work and kind of running around with you know kids and family and so forth, you don't have. You know, you're at home all the time. You can be home when contractors are there. So, did people you know accelerate things that were already you know potentially uh, you know long in the making? The second hypothesis is that this sort of started uh, you know a new you know, crop of demand, uh, you know, for these categories, either due to uh, concerns around, uh, you know, cleanliness and, you know, hygiene, sanitation, or you're just around it a lot more. So the things, you know, small problems become big problems <laughs> when they're yeah. in front of your face for, you know, days and weeks. And, you know, now we're entering months at a time. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of interesting studies around the psychographic of, you know, accelerating behavior and sort of starting considerations that, that weren't there pre-COVID. Great. Let's talk a little bit more about who's doing this. Yeah. So the, the great thing about uh, Google is, you know, again, this is all sort of privacy safe and aggregate, but we have, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of demographic data around, um, around age and, uh, and gender and geography and, uh, you know, in marketness and sort of affinities towards, uh, towards certain uh, behaviors. What we saw was that actually younger homeowners are the most likely to be interested in starting a project or have already started a project. So when we uh, when we sent a, a Google survey out to 500 self-declared homeowners, uh, we found that younger homeowners, so between the ages of 25 and 44, were between 27% uh, to 30% uh, likely to start a project within the next three months. Whereas when you start getting to the right-hand side of that age histogram, you know, 65 plus, you're down around 12%. 
So the younger homeowners are more than twice as likely as older ones to want to, uh, to, to, want to start a project. And if you look at it all in, so an aggregate of all ages, about 21% of surveyed homeowners said they were interested in starting a project within the next three months, which if you, we compare this to pre-COVID last year is, is quite high. Now, it's always tricky to kind of drill kind of behind the curtain on some of this data, but do you think, Nima, that this uh, the reason for this younger kind of audience, so to speak, or younger group is more that they feel like, you know, they can they can kind of be safer during the home remodeling or they have a longer runway in terms of, uh, you know, return. What 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 why do you think that there's this shift from, you know, the baby boomer, which historically was driving a lot of things to, to more of a younger audience? I think it's a con- I think it's a confluence of a couple of uh, factors. So last year, millennials were roughly 40 percent of the transaction pool for residential properties. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, they'll be looking to sort of make that space right. uh, their own. But to your point of, uh, you know, feeling safe, when we look at home services that require going, you know, outside. So, you know, for instance, uh, self-storage units, we found that younger people are more comfortable doing that. So if we, if we kind of look at outside the home as a proxy for inside the home when it comes to having people come from the outside in, our finding has been that, uh, you know, a younger self-declared homeowner is more comfortable going outside to uh, showrooms, uh, storage facilities, uh, you know, other sort of retail uh, environments where, you know, they have to uh, make purchases or, you know, procure a service for for their home. So I think it's a confluence of, you know, that that's just where transactions are are going more towards, uh, you know, the younger age of the age, the younger end rather of the age spectrum, but also just kind of overall relative comfort and safety um, in, a, you know, in this environment that we're in. You know, the, the, the next bit of information that I think is uh, I, I think about this, uh, you know, who are they talking to? I, I think about Brian Gottlieb, one of our thought leaders, and certainly he's part of the Harvard Modeling Futures Group. You know, he's actually seen his close rate go up pretty dramatically. And one of his, at least, conjectures is that it's going up because people are not talking to as many people. Uh, it's really more a choice of one, two, or three as opposed to talking to five. You know, you've you all have looked at that question, too. We have. And and to your point, three seems to be the magic number. So when we when we survey homeowners who are in market for uh, for remodeling service, we found that uh, 28 percent of them, which is sort of the the highest of of any of the kind of number of contractors to reach out to. Most of them say three is the limit. You know, if about, you know, 10 percent will go for only one, about 20 percent will go for two, but about 28 percent will say, all right, you know, we'll, we'll contact three providers. And it's a really rapid drop off into the low single digits when you look at four or five plus, uh, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's the advice that, you know, potentially younger homeowners are, are getting from their parents is, you know, get three estimates. And, and that, that seems to be the, uh, um, the going wisdom. And, you know, speci- specifically related to our time, we're seeing that uh, remodelers, uh, contractors, home services companies that, you know, offer either remote consultation or have very clear um, information and guidelines on their site about what measures they're taking when they're in the home. Even if the customer does not opt for virtual consultation, which in our experience, our data shows that relatively few do, they still prefer in home. Uh, But just having that message there is increasing the throughput rate on the websites. So, 
you know, even if you don't get a huge volume of users opting for, you know, some sort of virtual consult, it does, in our experience, aid in the site conversion rate. Wow. Yeah, this is really powerful stuff. You know, I think this notion of, uh, you know, a virtual experience versus an in-home experience, you know, one of the things that I've at least scratched my head a little bit about NEMA is, you know, how much of it is driven by consumer ignorance, i.e., They've never done it that way before. And how much of it is really driven by a real yearning on their part to, you know, physically see and talk to the remodeler? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And this is a it's such a new paradigm that there is some education to be done, uh, you know, with with the customer. It's something that they they don't natively kind of understand how it works to do a a virtual consult um, and, you know, maybe some. Uh, you know, challenge with the technology, maybe at the less, you know, tech savvy part of the population. But what we're seeing again is that, you know, in-person is, is still preferred. And that's, and that's actually uh, across age groups. Um, uh, you know, if you look at age 25 to 44, about 40% of them, which is, you know, the, the majority of all the uh, types of consults we measured, you know, they still say in-person is the best. Uh, when you look at 45 to 65, it's, you know, it's slightly higher by a few percentage points. Um, Younger homeowners are more likely to consider online means or kind of, uh, you know, non-in-person means like phone, email, uh, text messages, and, you know, even going to a showroom again, because they're probably more comfortable with it from a, from a risk exposure uh, standpoint. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's not, it's perhaps not believing they can get an accurate or give a remodeler or a contractor an accurate view of the scope of a project uh, if it if it's done virtually versus versus in person, so this is one we're actually going to track over time and see if providers get better at doing it and homeowners get better at uh, feeling comfortable with it as you know a, a fair analog to the to the in person experience, especially if things go into you know another state of lockdowns and stay at home orders and and so forth. It, it may be that a uh, you know mother is the the or the necessity is the mother of uh, invention in in this case. Yeah. Excellent. So continue on. This is really powerful stuff. Yeah. So another another trend that uh, uh, piqued our interest from the the work from the Harvard group was this this trend toward this trend towards aging in place. Uh, so their observation, which you know they're still kind of musing for causal reasons behind it, was that people are staying in their homes for longer, and they're and they're moving, and certainly doing long distance moves a lot less than they used to you know, 30, 40 years ago. So one of the questions that we've posed to our survey panel of homeowners is, do you plan to be in your current residence uh, three years from now? And yeah, there's the caveat with surveys about, you know, asking uh, hypotheticals or things about the future that, you know, may or may not come true. But we've gotten pretty reliable results in this, um, you know, in this realm in that, especially once you get to age 45 plus, you start seeing, you know, 80 plus percent expecting to stay in their homes for, for more than more than three years. So, you know, a pretty strong indication that people are, you know, more apt or more likely to age in place. Um, what's interesting is in the 25 to 34, you also see sort of a comparable, you know, low 80% likelihood to stay in the home for the next three years. But th- there's sort of this dead spot in the age 35 to 44 category where that drops all of a sudden down to 70. So the speculation is, you know, perhaps on the, on the left side of the, of the age histogram, that younger homeowner, they may be recently purchasing their home. So they're, you know, they, they have some, uh, some relatively new inertia there. They're, they're not planning to move in the next uh, three years. And once you get to the older side, you know, perhaps due to, um, uh, you know, frictional costs of moving and increased real estate costs in, you know, desirable areas of the country, 
they're more likely to stay in place. But that's sort of those people in the middle who are maybe, you know, peak of their uh, earning years, uh, geographically flexible from a work standpoint, maybe relocated due to work. Uh, they seem to be more likely to be fluid as far as their living situation, uh, which is our hypothesis as to why we see that drop uh, in the age 35 to 44. Excellent. And, and in, as far as those people, you know, valuing their home, you know, we, we talk about, you know, how all these long-term trends kind of relate back to, you know, our current and relatively short-term uh, reality with, um, with COVID. We found that about 30% of homeowners uh, value their home more as a result of uh, as a result of this lockdown period, and that's about a six to one ratio of people who say they value it less as a result of this COVID time. So, as people invest more, you know, is it you know does it get to be sort of an escalating commitment type situation where they're already kind of aging in place, and by investing more, does that does that prolong their uh, their tenure in those homes? You know, that that remains to be seen. But um, you know, over a third of people expect to be you know working from home through the end of uh, at least 2020. So uh, so we'll we'll see if this uh, if this trend continues and, and maybe even accelerates as a result of the investments they're they're making and the time they're spending there. Yeah, I think the whole way people certainly are looking at the home as a result of this being hunkered down, uh, you know, is starting to shift. And you know, I know your associate Kathleen was talking a little bit about you know that it takes 66 days to form new habits and now we've been at it 4 months and potentially we'll be at it another you know another 6 months or so i think we will homeowners at different ages will be looking at their home very very differently and uh you know the notion of the traditional let me retire let me go clip coupons let me move into you know more of a retirement situation, I think will also start to shift with, you know, with, uh, you know, what people are experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing that we've seen in, in third party data is you kind of see the seesaw of, of spending behavior. So another hypothesis we're exploring is when people can't spend on things like uh, experience and travel and, uh, you know, concerts and outdoor, you know, um, uh, you know, in restaurant dining and, and whatever else, is that is that investment shifting into the home where they, you know, where they are spending uh, dramatically more, uh, more time? So an- another, another trend we're watching is, you know, is this just kind of, you know, shifting uh, spending to where people are um, spending the, their most, the most of their time. Excellent. Let's continue on. Yeah, absolutely. So I know one, one concept that's, that's very important in this space, you know, uh, Google obviously is a huge repository for uh, reviews and recommendations and ratings is when we ask homeowners, you know, what the most important uh, factor is when hiring a, a remodeling partner for, for their home, reviews and reputations by far the number one uh, factor, about two thirds of homeowners say that's the most important factor. And what's interesting is that it even trumps cost as the most important factor. So only about 48% Say cost is the most important. Where about two thirds say uh, that re- reputation reviews are are important to them. And the reason that's interesting is because, especially in a survey type environment, people tend to respond very rationally, even if their behavior is a little bit less rational. So cost seems to supersede everything else, even if other factors like you know proximity to a you know a service provider or um, you know, uh, the the reputation of a brand or, or you know or some other factor is you know in their mind actually most important. Here we actually see that even when you survey homeowners as to what's important, reputation reviews are are seen as as the highest. As far as once you get past reputation reviews and cost, 
Then you have uh, licensing and insurance and references, both of which have about you know a third of respondents say that's that's an important factor. Uh, time to complete, uh, and again, maybe this is COVID related because people have a lot more time at home and they can be home uh, when contractors are in their home. That was towards the bottom. Only about 24% of homeowners said time to complete the job uh, was an important factor to them. They they, they seem much more interested in um, in the reputation of the provider. And then, you know, towards the bottom there was, uh, you know, warrantying the work, which about 17% of homeowners said that that was, uh, that was an important factor to them. But, um, you know, overall, as we're getting more into the, or as I know, many providers are getting more into the, the reputation management space, our, our data tells us that's, that's a good, um, you know, that that's a good place to, uh, to invest in because, uh, you know, two thirds of homeowners say that's, uh, that's a very important factor. Yeah. You know, it's interesting with that because I do think as a result of kind of these, uh, these times that we're in, especially as it relates to COVID, the, the, the notion of, you know, is this kind of a trusted advisor or is it a stranger? You know, is it a, uh, you know, is it a, you know, kind of almost sterile medical experience or is it a germ Mm -hmm. that's coming into my house? And so I think this notion of reviews and reputation and really, you know, it's not necessarily wanting kind of the top shelf remodeler as much as it is you know, I, 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 for my own health and safety, I need to know that this is the right fit for me. Absolutely. And it's increasingly showing the behavior of a relationship business. Like if, if we look at aggregate anonymized user behavior over, I mean, uh, you know, at Google, we can look across, you know, months and years, it starts to resemble the, the behavior of users rather starts to resemble more relationship businesses like, uh, you know, financial advisory and, and all those kind of high consideration type uh, industry verticals that are, you know, not specifically in this space, but but users, uh, as far as how they seek providers, it, it sort of mirrors that uh, relationship business. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would certainly uh, say our data supports that. You know, one of the things that, uh, Nima, you had shared uh, at a Harvard event that I I find kind of fascinating as it relates to the do-it-yourself kind of uh, category. And that was that I think sometimes professional remodelers, they, you know, they want to shy away from homeowners that say they would like to do it themselves or even put themselves lightly in that category. But, uh, you know, what you had shared before I thought was interesting in that uh, you know, a lot of those folks, it seemed like around a third of those folks, once they realize the complexity of a project or the risk of a project, they say, you know, no, I'd rather bring in a professional. Absolutely. And, and one thing that we have found in uh, Credit Goes, the Harvard team, to, for sort of expanding our thinking and how we, uh, you know, look at our own data as far as DIY and survey uh, our panel about DIY is that DIY is definitely a spectrum. There are some people who consider, you know, finding individual, uh, you know, providers and contractors for like parts of the job. They still consider that DIY because they did the scoping, they did the search, they did the the vetting and kind of articulated what they wanted the scope of the project to be. So my suggestion would be, I'd I'd invite uh, remodelers to consider that DIY is a spectrum and that users actually appreciate or customers appreciate uh, being shown some guidance on simple projects, and when they get in over their head, the one, the providers that gave them guidance are often the ones they go to. So I'll give you an example from the from the services space. Is 
uh, we do have some national plumbing providers who right on their website will have videos, you know, not a lot of production quality, but videos on how to solve basic uh, plumbing issues that a, that a homeowner can watch in less than five minutes and try and tackle the basics themselves. What we see within our analytics data is that there's a non-trivial percent of their site users who begin watching those videos and then two days later come back and schedule an appointment. So this this idea of being assistive and you know Google's made a, a huge business on being you know assistive to uh, to users so they come back to them. I think we're seeing it in this space too, where if you can educate and provide value in a time of need, a lot of DIY uh, or a lot of people who originate on DIY eventually shift to to do it for me. And as it relates specifically to this this pandemic, we have seen a huge increase in uh, in DIY interest. So on Google search, on our, our sort of main search property, there's been an increase about 140% on kind of home-related DIY topics uh, year over year. So pretty unprecedented surge there. On the YouTube side, which uh, is also a Google property, we've seen a 43% watch time increase. Uh, so think about that as like minutes watched of uh, DIY home improvement uh, YouTube videos since before the pandemic. So it could be more time in the home. It could be that changing relationship with the home. People want to feel more connected to it, but they are a lot more interested in DIY uh, this year than last. But as we've seen in the provider space, a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of that increase is is homeowners uh, spilling over from DIY. To your point, realizing they could be over their head on this project, or they've just reached the limit of their own abilities, and are finding, especially on services, is the providers who are assistive in the DIY period are the ones they turn to first in the do it for me period. Uh, so that, that's, that's something I would uh, invite the group to, uh, to consider as uh, an important group that, that sort of DIY audience. You know, somewhat of a related story, but I think it, it kind of reinforces this. I was doing a talk a few years ago at a, uh, a, a gutter guard convention, a, a, a group that creates basically uh, you know, systems on gutters that that for homeowners that presumably, you know, they don't have to clean their gutters as much. And uh, in the research that they've done, uh, they were getting more leads, more leads from people that were searching gutter cleaning, which is not what they do, than almost anything else. So a lot of times, and it's your to your point, Neem, about being kind of assistive, if you can just say, what is it that the homeowner is kind of yearning for and help them get that information and help them kind of be that trusted advisor more than just a peddler, the likelihood they're going to come back and say, you know, I, I, I really do need your help is much greater. That's a great observation. And, and what we've seen, we, we actually have tools at Google that can identify uh, questions. So when someone asks, you know, how to do something or where, you know, where to accomplish, uh, you know, whatever else, what we've seen is for our, for our partners in the remodeling and services space, we will actually furnish them with a list of, you know, sort of top questions around how to that people are asking both on Google search and YouTube, which is actually the world's second largest search engine is, is YouTube. And those campaigns they run around, uh, you know, kind of how to, you know, do something, you know, typically kind of a simple DIY thing, you know, to your point, cleaning gutters. Some of those are mo their most successful campaigns as far as throughput. They don't typically convert, you know, immediately because, again, that person's you know, kind of first looking to be informed and assisted, you know, not provided in the, in the near term. But, you know, over a longer uh, time horizon, th those, are, those are very successful themes for a lot of our partners as well. 
Excellent. Yeah. So as far as, uh, you know, preferences on, on being inside the home, I, you know, I know you had touched on, um, you know, homeowners, various comfort levels with kind of inviting the outside in, which, you know, this is something that, um, you know, even though a consultation can be done virtually, a, uh, a project cannot be executed virtually. Our surveys are finding that about 60% of people are, uh, you know, roughly a month away from either, you know, entering a public space or, you know, more importantly for this group, you know, inviting, uh, you know, workers, uh, workers into their homes. So I think that's in a, some way, in some ways, a positive for the category in that, you know, even though we're seeing kind of a near term uh, surge in, in interest in this, uh, you know, in this category and, and for this service, there is still a latent group of people who does not want to invite the outside in, who's about a month away from being comfortable with that just yet. So, you know, there's there's reason to believe that some of this uh, some of this demand for this category uh, still may be latent, either as a mix of people who were not in market who are accelerating their path to being in market, um, and on the other arm of that, people who you know are interested but you know maybe need some time to feel comfortable uh, inviting providers into their home. Yeah, and you know this is so important because I think the home improvement community uh, oftentimes has kind of thrown you know leads or prospects into one big bucket and they're either ready to buy or they're not ready to buy. But the reality is, is that, you know, based on this data, you've got two thirds of the folks said, you know, I'm ready to talk, but I'm not ready to touch. I'm not ready to kind of engage with you. And if you can be respectful to their kind of buying process, I think the likelihood that that will become a project in the near future is much greater. So I think it's really powerful insight. Absolutely. And for, for listeners who are, uh, you know, a little bit savvy with Google Analytics or any other web analytics platform on their site, I, you know, I'd invite them to look at uh, time lag reporting, which is a capability there where you can see from your first interaction to, uh, you know, a lead submission, let's say, what's the time between that first interaction and that, and that end goal. And what we find in the services and remodeling space is that you almost see this this inverted bell curve. You know, yes, you do see some people in the you know one to two days between first interaction and commitment, but there's a sizable percent of people who are 30 plus, 60 plus, 90 days of time latency from their first interaction with the site to you know ultimately scheduling an appointment, submitting a lead, making a phone call, so on and so forth. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's not a you know a binary case where either they're they're in or they're out. They they do spend a lot of time uh, in the middle. And specifically around uh, COVID, because I know that that's on a lot of people's minds. Uh, what we also have seen is that when there's clear messaging on the site or you know over the phone as to what measures uh, you know your providers are taking, uh, that's also been a, a predictor of of increased throughput. So uh, wearing masks, allowing for contactless payments, uh, wearing kind of shoe coverings uh, in the home, allowing for online scheduling. These are all sort of behavioral shifts that don't just apply to home remodeling, but are, are certainly important in this space since it is, uh, you know, a person-to-person transaction. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, if if you're a remodeler out there and you're thinking about all these variables, it's a little bit overwhelming. But one of the, I think, wonderful things that uh, Nima, you and your team do is kind of boil it down. You know, what are those three preferences and this this notion of you know, leveraging the technology and being safe and wearing masks. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, having more of a, you know, I, I, I don't really want to touch you. I want to have an experience that uh, is leveraging technology. And I think, you know, it 
by understanding these preferences, it really helps you to ask yourself, you know, am I giving these preferences the degree of importance uh, that, that certainly consumers want? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's anecdotal, but I recently ordered uh, furniture for my, for my home since I, I did not have a work from home setup uh, prior to all this starting. And uh, the, the provider was, was very clear and they managed expectations very carefully as to if you do not want to even you know, be in your home, if you want to um, you know, make sure you're at a certain distance, if you want to give instructions beforehand so you don't have to give it in person, you know, let us know and, and, we'll, and we'll accommodate that. So specifically from the data that we see, uh, you know, we've seen a 20% increase in interest in contactless payments uh, since the start of the, the pandemic. I mean, if, I think if a lot of listeners think about you know, the, the way that they're now interacting with you know, restaurants and other kind of day-to-day providers, this idea of contactless has, has picked up tremendously and providers are, are adapting. Curbside pickup, 3,000% increase in year-over-year queries. I'd say probably the only uh, you know, category of spending that uh, you know, third-party providers like numerators see as big a surgeon as they see in home improvement is, uh, is e-commerce. And of course, see the delivery companies adapting there with uh, you know, just leaving things either curbside or leaving things at your door and, and you know, leaving immediately. And, you know, one in three adults, you know, by our own uh, survey panel say that they're more comfortable with a contactless payment interaction. So I know that, you know, many providers in this space are, um, you know, checks and, you know, hand me your credit card and all this and that. But, you know, I'd invite them to, you know, consider and explore, you know, online invoicing, uh, fully contactless payments, um, uh, you know, cashless app type uh, payments and so forth, because, I think it's something people are are feeling uh, number one more comfortable with, and number two actually preferring providers who offer it. Uh, in our experience with the partners that um, uh, that we work with. Well, Nima, I, I I can't thank you and certainly Google enough for sharing these insights. I I, I feel like you know for the most part, you know, remodelers are you know kind of driving a little bit through a fog, and it's just not that clear how far of a you know, uh, horizon or what kind of where the the beginning and ends of things are. But I think having some of these preferences and some of these insights and, you know, I I think it really adds to, you know, their real world experiences. So again, uh, joining me today is is Nima Oftada with, he is the head of analytics for Google's home services. Uh, We also have a Remodeling Mastery Forum, which uh, Nima and his associate associate Kathleen uh, presented on the forum, uh, where you'll actually be able to see, I think, many of the visuals, uh, as well as uh, certainly several other thought leaders from Professional Remodeler, uh, Harvard, and, and certainly some of the technology experts. So again, Nima, thank you so much and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Sharefire Local. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 